0: chapter 3 of a short history of scotland by andrew lang Read for LibriVox.org into the public domain chapter 3 early wars of races in a work of this scope it is impossible to describe all the wars between the petty kingdoms peopled by races of various languages which occupied scotland in 603 in the wild moors at degsustain between the little burn and the passes of the upper tyne the english ethelfrith of Daria with an army of the still pagan ancestors of the borderers utterly defeated aidan king of argyle with the christian converted scots henceforth for more than a century the english between forth and humber feared neither scot of the west nor pict of the north on the death of ethelfrith 617 the christian west and north exercised their influences one of ethelfrith's exiled sons married a pictish princess and became father of a pictish king Another, Oswald, was baptized at Ionia, and the new king of the northern English of Lothian, Edwin, was converted by Paulinus, 627, and held Edinburgh as his capital. Later, after an age of war and ruin, Oswald, the convert of Ionia, restored Christianity in northern England, and after his fall his brother, Oswu, consolidated the northern English. In 685, Oswiu's son Egfrith crossed the Forth and invaded Pictland with a Northumbrian army, but was routed with great loss and was slain at Mere in Forfarshire. Thenceforth, till 761, the Picts were dominant, as against Scots and North English. Angus Macfergus being then their leader. 731 to 761. Now the invaders and settlers from Scandinavia, the Northmen on the west coast ravaged the Christian Scots of the West, and burned Ionia. Finally, in 844 to 860, Kenneth MacAlpine of Kintyre, a Scot of Dalriada on the Paternal, a Pict on the mother's side, defeated the Picts and obtained their throne. By Pictish law the crown descended in the maternal line, which probably facilitated the coronation of Kenneth. To the Scots, and to all Europe, he was a Scot. To the Picts, as a son of a royal Pictish mother, he was a Pict. With him, at all events, Scots and Picts were interfused, and there began the Scottish dynasty, supplanting the Pictish, though it is only in popular tales that the Picts were exterminated. Owing to pressure from the Northmen's sea-rovers in the west, the capital and the seat of their chief bishop, under Kenneth MacAlpine, 844 to 860, were moved eastwards from Ionia to Scone, near Perth, and after an interval at Dunkeld, to St. Andrews and Fife. The line of Kenneth Macalpine, though disturbed by quarrels over the secession, and by Northmen in the west, north, and east, nonetheless in some way held a good grip o'er the gear against Vikings, English of Lothian, and Welsh of Strathclyde. In consequence of marriage with a Welsh princess of Strathclyde, or Cumberland, a Scottish prince, Donald, brother of Constantine II, became king of that realm, 908, and his branch of the family of Macalpine held Cumbria for a century. ENGLISH CLAIMS OVER SCOTLAND In 924 the first claim by an English king, Edward, to the overlordship of Scotland appears in the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle. The entry contains a manifest error, and the topic causes war between modern historians, English and Scottish. In fact, there are several such entries of Scottish acceptance of English suzerainty under Constantine II, and later, but they all end in the statement, this held not long. The submission of Malcolm I to Edmund is not a submission but an alliance. The old English word for fellow-worker or ally designates Malcolm as fellow-worker with Edward of England. This word, midwerta, was translated fidelis, one who gives fealty in the Latin of English chroniclers two centuries later, but Malcolm I held Cumberland as an ally, not as a subject prince of England. In 1092 an English chronicle represents Malcolm III as holding Cumberland by conquest. The main fact is that out of these and similar dim transactions arose the claims of Edward I to the overlordship of Scotland, claims that were urged by Queen Elizabeth's minister, Cecil, in 1568, and were boldly denied by Maitland of Lethington. From these misty pretensions came the centuries of war that made the hearty character of the folk of Scotland. THE SCOTTISH ACQUISITION OF Lothian. We cannot pretend within our scope to follow chronologically the fightings and flockings of kites and crows, in a wolf age, a war age, when the northmen from all Scandinavian lands, and the Danes, who had acquired much of Ireland, were flying at the throat of England and hanging on the flanks of Scotland, while the Britons of Strathclyde struck in, and the Scottish kings again and again raided or sought to occupy the fertile region of Lothian, between Forth and Tweed. If the dynasty of Macalpin could win rich Lothian with its English-speaking folk, they were made men. They held the granary of the north. By degrees, and by methods not clearly defined, they did win the Castle of the Maidens, the Acropolis of Dunedin, Edinburgh, and fifty years later, in some way, apparently by the sword, at the Battle of Carham, 1018, in which a Scottish king of Cumberland fought by his side, Malcolm the Second took possession of Lothian, the whole southeast region, by this time entirely anglified and this was the greatest step in the making of scotland the celtic dynasty now held the most fertile district between forth and tweed a district already english in blood and speech the center and focus of the english civilization accepted by the celtic kings under this malcolm too his grandson duncan became ruler of strathclyde that is practically of cumberland malcolm is said to have been murdered at haunted glamis in farforcher sure in 1034. The room where he died is pointed out by legend in the ancient castle. His rightful heir, by the strange system of the Scots, should have been not his own grandson, Duncan, but the grandson of Kenneth Third. The rule was that the crown went alternately to a descendant of the house of Constantine, 863-877, son of Kenneth MacAlpine, and to a descendant of Constantine's brother, Owd, 877-888. to these alterations went on till the crowning of Malcolm the Second, 10.05 to 10.34, and then ceased, for Malcolm the Second had slain the unnamed male heir of the house of Ode, a son of Boda, in order to open the secession to his own grandson, the gracious Duncan. Boda had left a daughter, Grotch; She had, by the Marmar, or under-king of the province of Murray, a son, Lulach. On the death of Marmar she married Macbeth, And when Macbeth slew Duncan, 1040, he was removing a usurper, as he understood it, and he ruled in the name of his stepson, Lulac. The power of Duncan had been weakened by repeated defeats at the hands of the Northmen under Thorfinn. In 1057 Macbeth was slain in battle at Lumpanen, in Aberdeenshire, and Malcolm Canmore, son of Duncan, after returning from England, whither he had fled from Macbeth, succeeded to the throne but he and his descendants for long were opposed by the house of Murray, descendants of Lulach, who himself had died in 1058. The world will always believe Shakespeare's version of these events, and suppose the gracious Duncan to have been a venerable old man, and Macbeth an ambitious thane, with a bloodthirsty wife, he himself being urged on by the predictions of witches. He was, in fact, more more of Murray, and upheld the claims of his stepson Lulach. Who was the son of a daughter of the wrongfully extruded house of Oud. Malcolm Canmore, Duncan's grandson, on the other hand, represented the European custom of direct lineal succession against the ancient Scots mode. End of chapter three read by Sabella Denton. For more free audio books or to volunteer please visit librivox.org.